Galatians chapter 2. If you've got this memorized, that's fine. We've only got one verse we're looking at here. I want to talk about an extraordinary life because it seems to me that most people are content to just get by. They're content to just live. If they can squeak by in life, if they can sort of be born and uh, have, a, have a fun life and uh, get married and have kids and grandkids and then die, that's it. They're kind of happy with that. And most people are content with an ordinary life, just an average life. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be average. I want to be extraordinary. Don't choose anyone with me. I believe we've got a church full of people who want to be extraordinary. If you're new here and you want to be extraordinary, it's a great place to be because God calls us to that. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes this, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, that you would raise the bar in our lives, that we might not desire to be average, but that we might desire to be extraordinary. And I believe God has a destiny over your life. If you're hearing this right now, God has a plan for your life. He has a destiny. And I believe that we can reach that if we, if we stay in him, if we let him live through us. So Lord, open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So many Christians are content to just go through their Christian life just squeaking by. They ask Jesus into their life. They turn up at church. They sing a few hymns, read the Bible occasionally, and they never really amount to anything in the kingdom of God. They're just content to be average. So what is average? We had a joke in our family. My sister, Kerry, is average. Um, she, she's like, when you look at all the statistics, she was always the average one. She was the middle child. She was average height, average weight, average. Everything was average. And she used to proudly say, I'm the, I'm the standard by which everybody draws average by. And I said, well, that's not much of a standard. Did you know the average Australian man, put your hand up if you're a, ma a man. There's a few. The average Australian man is 36 years old. He's 178 centimetres tall and weighs 85 kilograms. He has two kids. He earns 65,000 a year. I wish, says some of you. Um, this is the average, okay? Um, his life expectancy is 81.5. Did you know that? It's much, much higher than it used to be, uh, despite viruses and stuff. Uh, women, you get to live four years longer than us. You're 14 centimetres shorter and you weigh only 68 kilograms. I wish, say some of you. <laughs> I won't go there. I had a few days off this week and I went up two kilos. I'm just saying, I'm not going to go there. But I had a great time. Um, statistics can tell you a lot of things, but what I can't tell you is who will become great, who will impact the lives of people around them. can't tell you who will lay down their life for someone else. It just gives you a measure of average. The average Christian who did a bit of research, did you know that the average Christian who is in church between 35 and 40 years will attend church 1,600 times? He has 1,600 church services. Hear 1,600 sermons, will sing more than 20,000 worship songs, and will lead zero people to faith in Christ in their lifetime. Isn't that incredible? That's the average, yeah. But see, the average is where many Christians aim, and they hit it every time, because it's not hard to hit. It's very average. They tend to be ordinary, to live what they think is an adequate Christian life. They believe that if they go to church, they read their Bible occasionally, they say their prayers once in a while, they'll be all right with God. And occasionally... 
the average Christian might go beyond this. They might, uh, you know, volunteer to welcome people at the door or serve one another or be a member of a committee. For God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. But, you know, we still have them sometimes. Or maybe, maybe even go on a short-term mission trip. Maybe. This is the average Christian. I believe God wants us to be more than average, don't you? So many Christians, especially after the disruption of COVID-19, are simply going through the motions of being good Christians. I meet Christians like this all the time. They're pretty much amounting to nothing, but they're just going through the motions. They They do not enjoy the power, the fullness, the peace, and the joy that should come from an abundant life in Christ. They're just squeaking by. But Jesus in John chapter 10 verse 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that he may have life and life abundantly. Jesus came that we would have life and life abundantly. He doesn't want you just squeaking through. You see, eventually, (coughs) Mr. Average Christian, you get by for a while, but when the burdens come, when the adversity comes against you, when the storms of life hit you, you've got nothing to stand on. You don't have that vibrant faith in Christ because you're just busy being average and just keeping the bare minimum. There is a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we actually experience. So I want to ask the question right now, why are so many Christians content to be ordinary? What is it that stops someone who becomes a believer in Christ from becoming great? There are certain things that we do, certain things that we decide that makes us just stay where we are. Back in the 80s, who remembers the 80s? That's like pre-cell phone. That's like pre-internet. Can you remember pre-internet? Well, back in the 80s, I used to like, and even 70s, who remembers the 70s? Some of you were born in the 70s. I'm not going to the 60s. The 60s is right out. But I had a favorite band called Status Quo. Remember that? Who remembers status quo? But status quo, I came to realize, is not what I want. I don't want the status quo anymore. You know? Whatever you want is not status quo. What we want is an extraordinary life, don't we? So what stops us from leading an extraordinary life? Well, number one, we get focused on the wrong things. We do. So many Christians are simply focused on the wrong things. We, we're chasing the right career, the right business, the right partner, the right kids, the right church. We concentrate on getting money, getting a family, getting houses, getting hobbies, getting this, getting that. But we don't think about Christ. We concentrate on what we can get. And you know why we're so good at that? Because that's what everyone tells us we should be doing. Go out there and get stuff. If you are not driving this car, then you are this. If you are not drinking this beer, then you are this. You see, and and we're told constantly in the media that to get ahead in life and be successful and be somebody, you got to get stuff. So let me ask you, what are you focused on this morning, this very morning? What are you focused on in your life? What's important to you? What are you focused on? Here's a hint. If you can't figure that out, what do you think the most about? Do you spend more time or invest more energy into business or money or or homemaking or leisure than you invest in reading the Bible, coming to church or prayer? See, your time and your headspace is a good indicator of what you're focusing on. And I think there's a lesson to all of us in this because we can easily get misled into focusing on things that ultimately in eternity don't matter to hoots. 
There is an exhilaration that comes from being successful in an area. If you talk to people who like trading, some of you here like trading stock exchange and Forex and all that sort of stuff. When you have a win, it's like it's exhilarating. But I tell you, in eternity, that don't matter nothing. Not a thing. Makes you feel good now for a short time, but later on you lose it all and you don't feel so good. It's this emotional thing. You know, they don't matter in eternity. Jesus said this, Matthew 6. He says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But he said this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things are added to you as well. If you want a great family, a great life, a great future, focus on Jesus, because you get the lot. Because when you focus on him, he brings those other things to pass. And if he doesn't, you don't want them. If you're focused on him, you'll see that. So that's the first thing, we focus on the wrong things. The second thing is we get distracted. How many of you know that as Christians, it's really easy to get distracted? Yes? Have you sat down to pray and you're quiet in your heart and you have your little cup of coffee there? And what pops into your head? Everything. Did I put the garbage out last night? I really should have put the garbage out last night. It's not really important, but it pops in your head. The enemy is, is, is really skilled at making you get distracted all the time, even if you start off well. Jesus talked about a seed that was, you know, a seed of an extraordinary life that was sown. But Jesus explains in the parable of the sower that we get distracted by worldly things. Look at Matthew 13, it says this. For, for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word... But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. How, how well does that describe a lot of Christian lives? The seed is sown. They come to Christ, but the cares of the world and other, distract them so that they, they, they don't not love God. They just don't produce any fruit because they're busy being distracted. We live in a world full of distractions, don't we? Do you know they've done some studies, the average attention span for someone on the internet particularly a young person on the internet is around three seconds that's less than a goldfish less than a goldfish because and you know if you're flipping through things we don't read anything anymore we skim it don't we am i right we are so easy to distract when i came to christ as a young man who was uh, at school and then it was at university, I wanted to serve Jesus with all my heart. From the get-go, I just said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it with all my heart. And so I plunged into serving the Lord. But, you know, was, it was like two seconds before something started distracting me. Something started taking my focus off what was important and started putting it on, on other things. As a young man at university... Girls distracted me for a time. Then when I got a good one, other things distracted me. You know, career, business, homes, family. If you give in to that stuff, you just follow that path and your life with Christ amounts to nothing. It's not extraordinary at all. See, none of those things are bad. I'm not saying the family or career or anything is bad. That's all good. But when it distracts you from things that are eternal, that's when it becomes a source of, of, of unblessing in your life or even cursing. See, God has shown me from an early age that if I seek him, I can serve him better and you get all that other stuff to boot. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the other stuff just kind of happens. 
if you're seeking him. Colossians 3 verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So many of us set our mind on earthly things because that's what we're bombarded with. We all of us have to admit that we are distracted by what goes on around us. The third thing is we get fooled. See, sometimes the enemy just fools us. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. He's wearing two faces. The devil knows that once you come to Christ, the devil knows he's lost your soul to heaven. So what can he do? He can't get that soul back, but what he can do is stunt your effectiveness as a servant of God. So that you don't lead anyone else to Christ. You don't have an effect in anyone else's life. So he can't, can't get your soul back, but he can stop you from becoming effective for him. He uses deceit, lies, distraction, pain, especially fear, to blunt your service for Jesus. He is actively trying to bring you down. And we have to be vigilant. Sober mind. That word sober-minded means calm and collected in spirit. The word watchful means staying awake, being aware And we just have to be aware that the enemy is going to try and fool us. He's going to try and sort us. He's going to try and distract us. He's going to do whatever he can to take our eyes off Jesus. Whatever he can. So look at your life right now. Are you being fooled by the enemy? Are you being hoodwinked by Satan? Are you being sold the lie that your business or your car or your house or your relationship or family or anything else is more important than your life with Jesus? Because remember, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that stuff just seems to come. You don't have to seek that stuff. God brings it because you're invested in him. C.T. Studd, I mentioned a month or two ago, famous cricketer. He played in the first Ashes Test in 1872, I think it was from memory. And C.T. Studd was a world famous test cricketer. Very rich man, very successful. He'd gone to Cambridge, etc. And he gave it all up to become a missionary. He sold everything he had, gave all his money away. This famous, famous man, and he became a missionary. (coughs) Missionary to China. And he said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So are you being fooled? That's my question. My next question is this. Are you getting weary? See, that's the next thing that happens. We get weary. That's Liliana. Yes, it's my granddaughter. I had a conversation with her and that's the result. <laughs> so it's like being in church when I'm preaching. I, know, I see a few of you nodding off. Watch out. <laughs> Bill Newman, my friend, tells the story of uh, a guy who used to go to sleep every time he went to church. And his wife was that embarrassed. And so when it, when he, one morning he came in, the pastor's delivering his, his morning massage and he looks out and he sees this guy going to sleep and he says, I've got an idea. So he says... He says to everybody, he says, he says, he says, all of you who are going to heaven, stay right where you are. But if you're going to the other place, stand up. And the guy just stood bolt upright in the middle of everybody. <laughs> and everybody's that embarrassed for him, you know. And he, and he looked up at the pastor. He said, I don't know where we're going, pastor, but you and I are the only ones standing. <laughs> See, we get weary. Not in church, but we get weary. So often we serve the Lord, we focus on Him, we desire to live an extraordinary life for Him. We start off well, but we just get tired. This is a huge one for me. Those of you who have been with me over the last week, I've had to deal with lawyers. It's, it's like 
it's like horrible. I don't understand what they're saying. I just don't like anything they say. And so I've had to, and my, I was getting weary, wearier, tireder, missing sleep. You know, Paul says this in Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not grow weary for doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I want to encourage you, if you've started down the road, if you have a dream in your heart of becoming an extraordinary Christian, don't give up. Find yourself in a place where you can push through and make it happen. See, it's not about how you start the Christian race. Most of us start that well. It's about how you finish. If you get weary and you fail, you slip back into ordinariness. Folks, we need to be continually inspired towards love and good works. We need to hold fast to the word of the Lord and wait on him. In fact, during this last week, this verse was brought to me again, and I love it. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Does that get you inspired? It does me. I want to walk and not be faint. I want to run and not be weary. I want to be up mounting on the wings of eagles. So how do we guard ourselves against becoming weary and discouraged? I've got one word that can help to guard you against being weary and discouraged. And the word is fellowship. You can fellowship with yourself, take a break, go somewhere. I had a break this week. It recharges the batteries. Fellowship with God. Quiet times, spending time reading the word. There is nothing that is more that is going to refresh your life more in the long term than spending time with him. Because he is life. Fellowship with your friends. Go out and have a few laughs. It's okay to laugh if you're a Christian. It really is. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was sitting in church and the guy beside me said something and I laughed and someone reached over, put his hand on my shoulder. He said, it's church, we don't laugh here. <laughs> uh, that's a true story. And I went, really? Oh my goodness. Where, why, why did I even stick around? I like laughing, don't you? So go out, have a few laughs, go out to dinner, watch a fun movie, play some bananagrams. Who knows what bananagrams are? If you don't, if you don't, see Fiona and Cindy and, and uh, Leanne and, and others who are bananas and they will show you this game. It's very famous because I was watching Peter Rabbit, the movie the other day with, with Kaylee and it's in Peter Rabbit, they're playing bananagrams. So you too can be a movie star with a rabbit if you play Bananagrams. See, fellowship, what about fellowship with other believers? Church needs to be something that builds us up and replenishes us when we get weary. Now, you can be a Christian and not go to church. You can't. You can be married and not live together. It's not normal. It's not the normal thing. Usually when you marry someone, you live with them. And usually when you're a Christian, you go to church. Most Christians who are not linked with church family generally achieve very little, for, if anything, for God. That's why Paul writes, uh, sorry, Paul, the writer to the Hebrews writes in Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. See, people neglect to meet together. I notice when people are struggling in their Christian life, they make themselves scarce. They don't start coming to things. Keep coming to things. Even if you're struggling, if you're struggling in your walk with God, come to church. This is where we can build you up and help you if you're weary and if you're tired and if you're struggling. Come to me, Jesus said. 
All you who are weary and I will give you rest. Ignite is a great place to open opportunities for fellowshipping with believers, serving the Lord and replenishing your reserves so you can soar with the eagles. Even if you live with the turkeys, you can soar with the eagles. Even if you work with turkeys, you can still soar with the eagles. You see, Jesus never called us to be average. He never did. He never called us to be average. Life and life to the full, he said. Mundane existence, we don't want that. I cannot believe that God called you to become a boring also-ran. Can you? Do you think God's done that? That he's called you to be, come follow me and you can be average and boring and, and, and ordinary. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? Come follow me and I will make you fishes and men. I will make you world changers. Right? That's what we're called to be. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 says this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which is all the saints that have gone before us, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so closely entangles and let us run with endurance the race set out before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. See, God has been showing me that if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. But here's the thing. If you aim for the moon, even if you don't hit it, you might miss and hit a star. Right? I believe we've got to aim higher. The world constantly tells you that you need to live a life of your own value and worth. Drive this car, you know, drink this whatever, shop at this place and you'll be someone of worth. But they define value of, uh, and worth in terms of cars, houses and stocks, jobs and appliances. None of these have any value in eternity. In eternity, we will not be sitting around comparing coffee machines. We just won't. I'm, well, the coffee will be there. We just won't have to, you know. My machine is bigger than your machine. You see, you can be less, less than average in society, but full of value and worth in eternity. Because it's not because your, your value is not in what you do. Your value is in who you are. You are saved. You are redeemed. You are a redeemed sinner. You are set free from sin and death by His grace. You are set on fire to impact the world by His Spirit. You are of value. doesn't even matter what you do. But if you can do something, then that is going to just draw you closer to Him. But it doesn't increase your value. You are already valued. You're saved by faith, by His grace, not because of anything you've done. But if you read James... James likes to marry being saved by faith and by grace with action because he said without action, works are dead. You can be forgiven. Some people in the world can be forgiven for thinking that the church is dead because it is a lot of times. Hey, but wait, there's more. You can get saved, but wait, there's more. How many of you remember these ads? We, used to, we have a whole channel, I believe, now that does this. But wait, there's more. There's steak knives. See, we could stay right there as safe Christians, valued and useless. But why should we be content to be average garden variety Christians? We should be, hap we should be not happy with an ordinary life. We want an extraordinary life. Do I hear an amen to that? I want to make a difference. It might sound like an infomercial, but I believe there is more. I believe God has more for us. I love this verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to his power at work within us. You see, that's not an un a mundane average verse, is it? It says, Now to him who can do what? 
exceedingly abundantly, it says in the King James. See, not even abundance. He doesn't just want abundance. He wants exceeding abundance. That's not an average verse. That's not a boring verse. See, the secret is in seeking him first, not seeking the other things. Then you get the other things. If you seek God's face and not his hand, let me say it again, if you seek his face and not his hand, if you have a relationship with him, all this other stuff comes your way. The great news is that when we honestly seek the Lord with all of our heart, he promises that he will live in us by his spirit. See, Christianity, people get the wrong idea. I don't want to be a Christian because it can't be that good. I like being a bit naughty. I don't want to give that up. But see, Christianity is not about living our best for God. It's about dying to self and about Christ living his best in us. Our great weakness in serving Christ is self-confidence. The choice is simple. We either deny self or we deny Christ. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Don't delight yourself in the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and that stuff just seems to come along. And if it doesn't, you don't want it. It's a simple system, but it works really well. So let me finish up by just explaining how a few simple principles on how we can lead an extraordinary life. Who wants to lead an extraordinary life here? You know, I'm not going to say he wants to be average because I can't believe anybody does. We want to be extraordinary. As believers, we should desire a life that's beyond average. And so often we settle for a life that's just okay instead of extraordinary. Now, I guarantee you now there there are people sitting here feeling awkward because you're looking at your life saying, my life's just ordinary. And that's okay because I still believe God wants you to be extraordinary as well. He does just because you've had an ordinary life so far, think of what the future could be if you stepped out and just trusted him. It's incredible. Settling for what's safe or what's comfortable or what's familiar is not what we want. We want to settle for something that is extraordinary, not just what is safe. So, folks, I believe we shouldn't settle for a good marriage when we can have a great marriage. Do I hear an amen to that? We shouldn't settle for an average Christian walk when we could have a great Christian walk that affects the world around us for Jesus, that will please our Father in heaven, that will build gold, silver and costly stones instead of wood, hay and straw. We can build something of value and I believe we have the opportunity. You see, we, you can settle for mediocrity with mundane jobs and minimal ministries or we can take action to escape apathy and live our lives in a way that is beyond our wildest imagination. You don't have to be talented or smart or good-looking or gifted to be extraordinary. I think many people with those characteristics, I see them running around even in Christian churches. They're not amounting to anything for God in the kingdom. You see, it's not about your ability. It's about your availability. That's what it's about. Not, not your ability. Don't think you've got to be talented or, or anything like that. You just have to be available for God to single you out and give you an extraordinary life. So how do we become more active, passionate, and joyful followers of Jesus. How do we ramp up our Christian life and put a serious dent in eternity? Are you even, let me ask you, are you even available for God to use right now? How many of us say when the Lord says he puts his finger on us, he puts something in our heart, some dream, some design, we say, God, I'm busy. Can you get back to me? Can't you see I'm busy here? doing?" How many of us say that? We do. I've said it. 
Well, here's three virtues that will help you move, move your life beyond the average, Holy Spirit, sorry, the average life to a Holy Spirit-led, awesome, extraordinary life. Number one, choose to be obedient. Every day we face a choice, obedience to Christ or our own desires. So how do you know what you need to obey God in? You read his word and your word draws you to him and his spirit speaks to you out of his word. Remember what Jesus said. He said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, obedience to God and his word will move you from apathy to action. We're commanded to be witnesses, faithful worshipers and prayer warriors, to give generously to the work of Christ and to love God's word. We're commanded to live holy lives, not happy lives, holy lives. Because if you're truly holy, you are actually happy. And let me ask you, are you living in obedience to his instructions? Because if you start to live in obedience, again, all this stuff just starts to roll out in your life. God has placed you where you are to be a witness to him. When you're obedient to God in all that you do, he'll use you in a powerful, meaningful way to reach others for his kingdom. Deuteronomy chapter 30 is a famous verse. We often turn to it. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19, where the people are entering into the promised land and Moses said to them, there's two mountains here. Some of you get on that one. Some of you get on that one. Okay, there's the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of Cursing. And he uses this as an illustration to show them choice. That's what he's showing them. Long before choice was a magazine about appliances, choice was something we had to face in our lives. And he says this in, in verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. And in case you can't get that, in case you're going, hmm, blessings and cursings or life, I wonder which one I'll choose. He says this, now choose life that both you and your offspring, your descendants may live. See, obeying Christ is life. It's not death. People say, I don't want to be a Christian because I've got to obey all these rules. That's not what it's about. Obeying Christ is the greatest joy there is. And you never have to look over your shoulder to see if someone's coming. Because obeying him, there is peace and there is harmony in obeying him. And there is life when we obey him. Not just for you, but for your wife, for your husband, for your kids, for their kids, for their kids' kids. You see, if we disobey God, we bring cursing upon ourselves. It's just the way it is. But if we obey God, that can be felt for generation after generation. If we obey, life and death, now choose life. Choose an extraordinary life. The second thing is choose to be diligent. Choosing to to be diligent in serving the Lord wholeheartedly. Romans 12 verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I like the word slothful because you know what a sloth looks like? They just, they just lie around. And some of us are like that. Frankly, some Christians are, are slothful, slack, and apathetic. Do you know what apathetic is? It's being pathetic, and there's an app for that. See, Christians should not be apathetic because the world is watching you. They are watching in your schools, at the shops, in your home, at work. Apathy is the enemy of the extraordinary. It's like I wanted, to, I wanted to have an extraordinary life, but I couldn't be bothered. That's apathy. We may have found a cure for most evils, says Helen Keller, 
But we have not found the remedy for the worst of them all, the apathy of human beings. And if you look at our society, you might think you're seeing people who are passionate, but when push comes to shove, it's just all about them. And they're apathetic about everybody else because they put number one first, myself first. Well, we need to put him first. And when we do that, we have a different view. Christians should be relied upon as diligent, resourceful people. Those who, who do not squeak by doing the bare minimum, we should, in, we should ra- be raised up in all areas. We should be excellent. Do I hear an amen to that? I'm not saying perfect. I'm saying excellent. I was, um, and, and um, where's Phil? Phil? Would you mind me sharing your news about your job and stuff? Okay, good. I um, was talking to Phil earlier. Now, Phil left a long-term job that he'd had for a long time. And he went for a job interview this week. And they, on the spot, pretty much, they hired him. hired you, didn't they? And you know why they did that? Because they liked the way he was talking. They liked what they saw in him because they saw a man who is diligent, who's going to work for their company and be a great employee. And they looked at me and thought, man, I've got to snap this guy up right now. You see, that's what it's like when you have that life. Others see it. Matthew <laughs> chapter 5, verse 16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, people are watching. They're not hearing what you say. They don't care what you say, right? They're not hearing that. What they're doing is watching your life. So if you want to lead people to Christ, if you want to impact the lives of people around you, live an extraordinary life and be diligent because people are watching. They're not just hearing your words. They may be hearing your words, but they're not just, they're watching your life. If your life does not reflect your words, they won't hear a thing you say. So think about that. We need to live shine before our people 2 peter 1 verse 10 says this therefore brothers be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities you will never fail who'd like to never fail yeah absolutely be diligent just be diligent the third thing is to be resilient resilience means to keep going no matter what there are times in life when, when it all just seems too much. We're overwhelmed, we're weary, we're down, we're despondent. If you haven't been there, you're not alive. Because all of us go through this at some time. All of us have been let down by others. All of us have gone through pain and heartache. But whatever happens to you, and I'm speaking prophetically to some here this morning, whatever happens to you, keep going. Don't stop. Psalm, the book of Psalms says this, even though I walk through the, sh- the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil because you are with me. Remember that verse? Well, if you're going through the shadow of death, don't stop there. Don't camp there. Don't set up house there. Don't sit down and go, you know, let's have a meal here. This is a good place. It's the valley of the shadow of death. This is pretty cool. Let's sit here and hang out. For a- don't do it. If you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, keep going. You don't want to stop there. Keep going. I want to have a resilient faith that remains constant, unmoved against all odds because people are dying out there on our streets. People are broken. Families are falling apart and we've been called to help. But it's our extraordinary life that will help them, not our pity. 
Our extraordinary life will help them if we live for Christ. Proverbs 21, 21 says this, whoever pursues, pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness and honor. See, if you pursue God, if you seek first his kingdom, we keep coming back to it, all this stuff comes your way and you can live an extraordinary life. That, in that verse in Hebrews, it says, whoever pursues righteousness, the word pursue is the Hebrew word radap, which means pursue, chase after, or run after. It means to chase down. It means to sit, there it is, I'm going after that, and I'm not going to stop till I've got it. See, the one who pursues righteousness and kindness pursues God and his kingdom. They chase it down, they pay any cost, and they never give up. I don't believe God wants you just on Sunday morning. I don't believe God wants you midweek for a Bible study. I believe God wants you 24-7 for the rest of your life. And if you give him that, then he will give you an extraordinary life. See, you can choose right now. You can choose right now what sort of life you want to live. Doesn't matter if you're old or young. You can choose. It's over to you. <coughs> you have the power to choose the life you live. You can choose an ordinary mundane life, just squeaking by existence, or you can choose an extraordinary life, a life that is life to the full. As you choose to keep pursuing true obedience, tenacious diligence, tough resilience, you'll go from living an extraordinary life, sorry, an ordinary life to an extraordinary life, and that will impact the people around you. Every great life lived for Jesus Christ and impacting the world starts with a choice. Did you know that? Every great man or woman of God that ever lived, it started with a choice. And they chose to follow him. You think of Gideon. He's down in the, hiding from the enemy down in the wine press, scared off his brain. And an angel appears and says, greetings, great warrior of God. And he goes, who, me? Me? There was no one else there. He had to figure it out eventually. But he made a choice to follow. Abraham made a choice to leave Ur of the Chaldees to follow. See, it all starts with a choice. Many people believe that the key to living a Christian life <coughs> starts with pious acts. But they are 100% wrong. Religious acts will not change your life and it will not change the world. It begins with a deep, intimate relationship with God. God did not create you to live a marginal Christian life characterized by chores and rituals. He desires to have a daily relationship with you where you will experience his presence, where you will trust him for wisdom, courage, and strength in all situations. An extraordinary life led hand in hand with the King of Kings. Is anyone up for that? See, with every step you take, every decision you make, every word you... Anyway, um, every conversation you have, every thought you entertain, the Lord wants to glorify himself through you. He desires to shine in your life and through your life to the lives of others. That's what it's about. You see, he wants to shine in your life. He want, his spirit, if you've asked Jesus into your life, you have his spirit within you. So guess what? Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are yours if you choose. But if you choose to pursue your own ends, you don't get that stuff. And you live an ordinary life. I believe that God wants us to live extraordinary lives, don't you? People think that Jesus Christ came to earth to make bad men good. That's not true. He came to earth to make dead men live. 
That's why he came. So 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this, If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So you see, all it takes is a choice. I can't live a victorious life for Jesus. You can't live a victorious life for Jesus. Uh, But if we die to self, he can live a victorious life in and through our lives. See, he lives life to the full through us. But only when we choose to give him our life. Choose now whom you will serve, Joshua said. But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. You can serve whoever you want in your life. It's your choice. But if you serve anybody or anything else, you will miss out on the extraordinary life that God has for you. So I believe the Lord is challenging you. He's challenging me. He's challenging our church not to be religious, not to be Christian, but to be extraordinary. Because we are following and living for Jesus Christ. Choose an extraordinary life that both you and your descendants might live. In other words, to live an extraordinary life is to allow Jesus to live through you. Your old self dies. Your new self is handed to him. As Paul wrote, I've been crucified with Christ, but I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not living this life anymore. He's living this life because he's inside me. And he's living his life in me. So this morning, I'm simply going to ask you to choose. You can choose to be ordinary and average. And if you do, if you want to choose, if you say, well, I hear what the pastor's saying, but yeah, I don't think so. I think I'd like to just be average. You can do that. But in a few moments, we're going to pray. And I want you to tell Jesus you're going to do that. If that's your destiny, if you want to just be ordinary, you tell him so. Because I don't want to tell him. I'm not going to take responsibility for that. Or in a few moments you can say, Lord, I give you my whole life, whatever it is, I hand it to you. I want to live an extraordinary life, have an extraordinary ministry. I want to tell you now. If that's you, you're in the right place. You see, pastors are not here just to make a noise, although this one does from time to time. Pastors are not here just to to be able to say to other pastors, well, look at how good my church is. We're moving to Nambour, <laughs> you know. And the other pastors go, good on you. <laughs> Over to you. <laughs> That's not what pastor, the role of the pastor is not to preach. It's not to stand up here and, and, and do this. The role of a pastor is this, to train and equip, to raise up ministry in you and to give you a space to, to work that ministry, give you a place where you can, you can live this ministry, the dream that's in your heart to the full. Now, I know many of you here, you've got ministry dreams in your heart. I know many of you here can see ministry dreams both within the church and outside the church. I tell you, that is an extraordinary life. When you can live out your destiny for the Lord, your life becomes extraordinary. And my job, as I see it, is to train and equip and raise you up, then give you the opportunities to do it. So if you have a dream in your heart, I don't care if you've been here five years or five minutes, if you've got a dream in your heart to serve the Lord, I want you to give that to him right now. And, and let us know about it, because in the coming weeks and months, I believe God's going to raise up incredible ministry from the people who are in this room right now. And I don't care if you've been a Christian five minutes, God can raise you up. I've seen people who've been saved six months. They are more mature than people who've been saved 60 years because they gave their life to Jesus.
and they've grown in the things of God. They can lead extraordinary lives. Let me ask you a question. I often ask myself this. What can I do for the Lord that is so outrageous and extraordinary that without him it's completely destined to fail? Because I want to do that before I die. I want to do something that's just crazy, that takes 100% faith in God, that without him it's destined to fail. Are you with me? Do you want to live an extraordinary life? Why don't you bow your head in prayer? We're going to wrap it up here. We're going to go to groups in a few minutes. But just bow your heads and pray because this is really important. I believe that God is speaking to us this morning. We are a unique bunch here because not only do we love God, but we want to live extraordinary lives. I believe each and every person here wants to be extraordinary, not average, not mundane, not ordinary, not just squeaking by. Some of you may have been doing that for a little while, maybe a long time. But I believe God is raising us up today. And all it takes is that choice saying, Lord, I choose you. Lord, I choose to seek you first and your kingdom and not worry about the other stuff. If you seek him now, God will raise something in you that will astonish you, that will astonish everyone around you. You are destined to greatness. Why? Because Jesus promised life and life to the full. So I want to lead you, all of you, if you are willing, if you want to be ordinary, don't pray this, please. But if you want to be extraordinary, if you want to do extraordinary things in your life, why don't you join me in this prayer? And together we're going to commit ourselves to this. There are going to be more opportunities opening up in the next several months in our church than ever before. And I believe extraordinary people will be raised up to reach our nation for Christ, to reach our town for Christ, to make a difference in this world. If that is you, if you really want God to use your life, then pray this with me and together we'll commit our lives to him afresh. Let's do it together. Say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to be ordinary. I want to be extraordinary for you. I want to live life and life to the full. So right now, I repent of my sin and I give everything I have, everything I desire, 100% to you. I give my life to you, Lord, and say, have your way. Lord, as you've seen people praying this prayer this morning, Lord, I believe that you are going to raise up men and women of greatness from this very group of people. Lord, I just ask that, that, that the fire of your Holy Spirit would just stir up within. Some of you here are feeling a stirring within. And I, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just stir up greatness within because God has a plan and a destiny for you. And we here at this church want to make it happen we want to open the way for the lord to raise you up to be all you can possibly be so lord you've heard these prayers i pray that you would just seal them right now by your holy spirit lord we desire to be great not for ourselves but for you we desire to live life life to the full because we are serving you 
And we ask this in your name. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you've never asked the Lord into your life, this is your moment. You won't have an extraordinary life like this without him. This is your moment. So I'm going to quickly lead you in a prayer now. If you've never asked Jesus into your life or if you've been wandering far from him, maybe you've messed your life up. Maybe your life's a bit of a mess. Maybe your family's a mess. Maybe your relationships are a mess. Maybe your finances are a mess. This is your moment to give your heart fully to him and say, Lord, have your way. So if you haven't asked Jesus into your life or if there's... If you've wandered far from him, pray this prayer with me now. Just as we, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Say this, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn away from my sin to you. And I ask you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. And fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might live an extraordinary life too. Just as we wrap it up here, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, just shoot your hand up and put it down very quickly for us. Praise God. See that? Are there any more? Okay, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you that you... You will make a difference in our life, Lord, that we can live our life for you. And Father, I pray that your hand will be upon this church and upon the people in this church, that we would be raised up to be extraordinary men and women for Christ. Lord, I pray that our dreams of serving you will come true. Lord, it's our joy to serve you. Thank you for life and life abundantly. We give you praise and glory. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.